Welcome to Liberty Revealed, the only show where you will learn about all things liberty. Your host for the show is a registered libertarian who's been involved in politics for more than 25 years. He has a passion for teaching others about the concept of personal liberty. Please welcome your host, Mike Mahoney. I am a big believer in personal liberty. To me, my rights end where your rights begin. What this means is law should ensure that your freedom to live your life as you choose does not impact everyone else's freedom to live their lives as they choose. This is personal liberty. If you want to learn more about personal liberty and get more from this show, sign up to receive my 10-page guide on personal liberty entitled Liberty Revealed. You need to fill out a simple form located at yogispodcastnetwork.com forward slash liberty revealed. That's Y-O-G-I-S podcastnetwork.com forward slash liberty revealed. Once you read through that ebook, you are guaranteed to be in a position to apply the philosophy of personal liberty. All right. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Revealed. I'm Mike Mahoney, your host. And today I have a guest with me from the UK. Damien is a 17-year-old college student. He labels himself a right-winger on most current political issues and shares the stance that I actually love. Facts don't care about your feelings. He's currently working hard to become a U.S. citizen by the age of 26, live the American dream, and live peacefully protected by the Bill of Rights. Welcome to the show, Damien. Hello. How are you doing? I'm really good. Thanks. I'm really good. So real pleasure to have you on. And, you know, you and I chatted a little bit uh, beforehand and we decided that today we're going to talk about border security and immigration. So take it away. Yeah. So my central stance on this issue is that um, for any country or nation to be secure and stable, I think strict borders have to be in place and the government essentially has to control who comes in, who comes out and know where each person is at any given time regarding border issues so like um for example i don't think the government should have should be tracking anyone within the country but i think they should know more or less how many people are in the country and out of the country at each given time okay so how do you see that potentially affecting um the movement of commerce um as in tourists for example or just people in general um well just the movement of like products and uh back back and forth between countries Oh, was in trade deals, like tariffs, that kind yeah, of stuff. Right. Um, I think that would be up to the people to decide, and not people essentially, but just for example, the people elected, I think they should have to choose and impose certain tariffs and restrictions that the people would essentially agree with because, you know, as that's the way people choose their leaders and everything, they want to they want them to put certain measures in place. Um, I don't usually look at the product side of it. I look at the people side of it, so immigration, that kind of stuff, but Essentially, all I know, I don't know too much about tariffs, that kind of stuff, but I know that essentially just the tax beat, um, that the government imposes on products coming in and out of a certain country. So as far as like, you know, because essentially what you're advocating for is closed borders, um, you know, having a situation where the government approves every single individual who enters the country. How does that affect, in your mind, how does that affect tourism? Um. To be fair, I don't think it'll affect tourism too much unless the individuals, like, for example, where recently Trump advocated for or conducted the travel ban from certain countries. I think 
that tourism as a whole wouldn't be affected too much, but it also depend on current political factors such as the terrorist attacks happened and that sort of stuff. But as a whole, I think if there's nothing going on in the country that's necessary to ban travel from certain areas, then I think tourism shouldn't be affected too much. How? What's your opinion of that attempted travel ban? Um, to be fair, I haven't read up on it in a while, and I don't remember too much about it, but I think that in regarding the um, political climate at the time where people were afraid of, obviously, certain terrorist attacks from certain countries, which were more common than others, I think... It, I'm actually not too sure. I think there's two sides of this that I kind of agree and disagree on. Is that one is kind of understandable because obviously those of huge moral panic at the time from those certain countries, and they were more likely to be involved in said terrorist attacks. But the, the other side of it is that it might have been a bit too rash at the time. I'm really not too sure because I haven't thought about this much, but I'm, I'm a bit divided on this issue. But I do think okay. that there was a good reason for it. Sure. So then also you brought up uh, President Trump. What's your opinion of President Trump? Um, I think at the beginning, he was a bit, I found him a bit immature because he spends too time on, too much time on Twitter and that kind of stuff. But I think as time goes on, he matures a bit. And realistically, I think at, at the beginning, his main shtick was that he was the kind of relatable, outrageous guy that everyone kind of loved, as opposed to people like Obama, Hillary, where people just thought they were too uptight pretty much. So I think that's kind of why he rose to fame so quickly, because he was different from all the other competitors. And I think that's why he might even be elected in 2020. Yeah, it's my personal opinion that he will be reelected, but mainly because you know how like, like if do you, do you play sports? Oh, uh, yeah. So, you know how when you're when you're playing competitive sports and you're preparing to play another team, if that other team doesn't ever practice, um, they're not putting their best effort out there. So when you get out there and play them, um, you've been preparing. So chances are, if all, all things considered equal, you probably win that that contest. But in this case, you, know, you get the Democratic Party who they seem to feel like they are entitled to the office of the presidency. And like in the last election, Hillary Clinton did not really work that hard to get elected. She just thought that she was, you know, ordained to be the president. And I think the same thing's going to happen. If you look at the current crop of people that are popping up on the Democrat side, there's nobody who's a credible threat. <clears throat> to President Trump, uh, you know, he he probably will be reelected. But back to, you know, immigration. So we in the United States, we've always had an interesting um, dichotomy where we have certain countries that we don't require any visa. We just require that you have a passport when you come, you show that passport, answer some questions, and we stamp your passport. That gives you six months entry into the country as a visitor. Then there's other countries, for whatever reason, that we do require a visa to enter the country, which means it it's, it's makes it more difficult because there's advanced planning involved. And like a lot of people say that requiring a visa is what's the word I'm thinking of um, inhumane because, you know, if you had a relative here in the country and let's say they passed away, and you need to come for a funeral. There's no way you're getting a few months notice of that. So you wouldn't be able to come if you came from a country where there needs to be a visa. So what do you think about that kind of process? Um, I actually do have a visa for the U.S. because I went for a holiday um, in the recent year. So, so my, my, my stance on visas, I think they they are necessary, I think, because then, like, of course, there are situations like he mentioned with funerals, that kind of things. But I don't think there are that many people that actually go into the U.S. for funerals, if you know what I mean. 
I think that most most people, I don't have any statistics for this, but I'm just assuming um, based on just the way sure. the film's going, that kind of stuff. Um, so I think, I, I'm not sure if it's too common for people to go to the US just for funerals. I think most of the time it's for holidays and that sort of stuff. Um, so I think if you have things like visas and plays, that sort of stuff, it will limit certain people because most people, they sometimes they book holidays on a whim, that kind of thing. I think it discourages people that aren't too sure they want to go to the US. I think it's only for those that are certain that's the place they want to go. Makes sense. So just in general, you know, because we started out talking, you know, you made the comment that for any any country, it's important for the government to protect their borders. And I don't disagree with that. I, I'm more, though, of an open border type of person, but within reason, like, for instance, um, how do you feel about, you know, in any country? What if someone wants to go to another country to work? Should that be allowed? Uh, yeah, I do you think that should be allowed? Um of course, like I think in the US, you guys have a special visa. And I think the green card is it. They, you have the right to work in a country and that kind of stuff. So, I do think workers should be permitted to work inside inside different countries. But I think the part where I don't want people to come in is when they just when, for example, you have people coming in trying to take advantage of the welfare system. Like I work, I live in the UK where the NHS is present, which is pretty much just free healthcare for everyone, regard, regardless of your um, social standing, that kind of thing. And even with my own family in the past and my friends' families, um, because I'm an immigrant from the po- um, from Poland, I came in when I was six and essentially I've, I pretty much found over time I identify with US, US values and British values in general. Well, that's a bit off topic. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of people might come overseas and just to come here and abuse the NHS system. Like I know the people have from my friends' families, even my family in some cases, and essentially just stand against that completely. But it depends on a um, thing on the economic factors and that um, type of stuff. Well, and there's definitely, I've heard people make the argument that um, they, they don't agree that people, that the government is trying to keep people from using social services. However, what I always say is it's such a common approach for countries that have like socialized medicine, for instance, where it's paid for um, like Canada, Australia, you know, UK, you guys have stricter, policies for entering the country and they they tend to ask more questions about whether you're there to work how long you're planning to stay etc um than they do coming this way and i think it's because here you pay for your health care if you get sick you go to the doctor you pay the doctor um it's not paid for by the government it's not paid for by other people's tax money and so i think i think it's actually a very common thing and i think that's why it's done is to keep people out who are planning, you know, they maybe maybe they have a big operation that they know they need to have. And so they take a trip somewhere without letting anyone know in order to get that taken care of there under, you know, the the guise of like, you know, I'm on a vacation. Oh, I got sick. I needed this operation. So, OK, so you've got you believe that people should be allowed to work. Do you think that they Am I gathering that you're okay with people immigrating so long as it's done in a legal fashion? Yes, of course. Okay, so, all right, we, we could agree with that. I don't agree with people coming, like, overstaying their visas or, um, you know, walking across the border when they shouldn't. So I think we're in agreement on that. But how should a country go about making sure that people don't overstay their visas and they don't just cross the border illegally what should what should any given country do 
Um, regarding the visa issue, I think I'll touch upon it next because I'm not too sure about it. I don't want to waste time, first of all. Um, sure. Regarding the way the country would stop people from coming in illegally without being checked or anything, I think it, the UK is completely different from the US because the UK obviously has a sea around it. So I think it'll make it a bit harder for people to just to walk across the border. Um, but regarding the US in this case, I think like, for example, the uh, proposed border wall that Trump has in, wants to put in place, I think that would be a good start because I think there's like, I think 60% of all illegal immigrants come from the southern border or something like that. I'm not too sure. But yes, that's correct. correct. That's correct. It's actually, it's actually 52%, but it's more than 50%. So yeah. Yes, I think essentially having a physical barrier put in place that will actually deter people and actually stop them from easily being able to walk across the border that would stop people from illegally migrating as easily as now. Um, Regarding the issue of visas, I'm really not too sure because one, I really can't think of anything at the moment because one thing I did, it was just a thought and I realized how dumb it is. But for example, putting tracking, like tracking people that are coming in, but that's just completely wrong in my opinion. You shouldn't track people, that kind of stuff. So regarding the issue um, of visas, I really can't say anything at the moment because I've recently been thinking about it, just haven't come to anything right just now. Sure. So like, it's my opinion that if someone wants to come to the United States, say, for example, and I think this should apply to any country, if they want to come to the United States and they want to work <clears throat> and they've secured a job here, uh, I think that they should be given a special visa that enables them to come into the country and work. And as long as their employment status is that they're employed, they should be able to stay here. So in the end, as long as they're paying their taxes and they're employed, they should be able to stay here as long as they want. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, good. Yeah, I think, but one thing I don't, I think that, I want to ask you a question if that's okay. Sure. Um, Because I think I might want to learn from this as well a bit. Um, how would, for example, say someone does overstay their visa, do you have any kind of system to put in place to prevent that from happening or any way of finding them quicker than you currently do? Well, that that is the one area I think our immigration system really, it fails because the truth is unless unless somebody files an immigration document where they give an address or you know a current address, or they get involved with the police, like get arrested, there's really no way that they find, they don't go hunting you down. I know like, for instance, in Australia, if you overstay your visa, they have a thing that triggers and they have a report of all the people who've overstayed their visa and they send their um, immigration officers out looking for those people. Here, we just don't do that. I mean, they claim that they do, but they just don't. So, no, to answer your question, there is no system in place to find people who have overstayed their visa. There probably should be, but there isn't. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, sorry, Karen. So that's why, you know, I think that if you if you think about this, as long as I, I actually think that if uh, an employment contract is coming close to ending, I think that the employer should be required to notify the government that, hey, this guy that's here on a work visa is about to have their you know position eliminated or they're quitting or whatever, and let the government know and give them their last known address. Then they should be able to go pick that person up and remove them from the country 
if that's what they want to do. How do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, actually, I agree with that a lot. Um, how about in instances of there's, of course, the workers' visa? What about just holiday visas that are not related to work in any, any situation? How would that go on? That one's really difficult because they do ask for addresses where you'll be staying during your time here in the country. But first of all, there's nothing stopping you from lying. I mean, there's also nothing stopping from the plans changing. And they just, they don't do anything about that. It's, it's kind of amazing. I mean, it's interesting. Like my wife is from Canada and she went through the immigration process when she came here. And one of the things the immigration lawyer told us, and I find this really intriguing, he said that the system here is set up to be handled one of two ways. You either handle your spousal visa from your own country or you handle it from within the United States. And he said that while the legal way is to handle it from your own country, he says the right way to handle it is from within the country. And let me explain to you why. If you, if you, like if she went to Canada and she, and if she was in Canada and we were married and she wanted to get her spousal visa approved while she was in Canada, a member of the um, like U.S. consulate there would interview her and they would make the decision. Yes, she gets her her change of status or no, she doesn't. That is not appealable to a to an immigration judge. So even they might decide, you know, she wore a purple dress that day and they hate purple. And so they decide not to let her in. Point being, they can use any reason they want to keep her out of the country. Once she's here in the country, though, and she tries to adjust her status, everything is heard by an immigration officer who is under the oversight of the immigration court judges. So if same scenario, doesn't like the purple dress, decides he's not going to let her in, you can appeal it to the immigration judge and, you know, problem solved because the immigration judge is going to follow the law, not the fact that she's wearing a purple dress. So it's, it's interesting to me that they set it up where you can do it one of two ways, because of course, what you're going to want to do is come into the country, have your wedding and then stay here. But you run the risk if you don't file your paperwork within six months, you run the risk of not being legal. And that has its own set of consequences once you turn in the actual paperwork. And that's how they usually find people is they'll have overstayed their visa. They'll get married to somebody and then they'll decide, all right, I need to adjust my status. If there's anything out of the ordinary, the government will come pick them up. I had a cousin who um, he was from Singapore and he filed for an adjustment of status and they actually deported him out of the country for a short period of time and made him complete it out of the country. So, you know, that's, it's interesting how, how that works, but doing it legally, that's the key to me for me. I think um, it just shows respect for where you're going and it, sh- and it actually, it kind of shows people that you want to be a productive member of that society and do things the way that society deems correct. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, a hundred percent. So like, what's the situation? Like, say I wanted to immigrate to the UK. Um, how difficult would that be? Um, I think it would depend on what country you're from that you're trying to come through. Because I think, um, for example, when I was trying to get a visa to the US, my mom was really stressing because it was easier for British people to get it rather than Polish people. So I think that might be a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would depend on your intent intention as well because... Um, 
for example, if you were just coming here for a holiday, that would be different from if you're trying to work, for example. Um, so yeah, I think it would it wouldn't be too hard depending on your intentions, if I'm honest. Cool. Cause I know like um if I were to try to immigrate to Canada or even Australia, it's my gosh, it's it's crazy. Like my oldest daughter is engaged to an Australian and she's trying to get her visa to go to Australia permanently. And the the amount of paperwork is I thought I thought what we had to fill out here was a lot. The amount of paperwork is crazy and the kind of weird like literally every single person she's come in contact with there more than once. So basically friends of her fiance, she needs their personal information. And I, I suspect that what it's for is if you don't complete the process, um, she, you know, they'll have ways to find you, <laughs> you know, um, like you asked earlier, is there a system in place? We need that here. How does that work in the UK? Like what if, what if someone came on a visitor's visa and then just didn't leave when they were supposed to, what would happen next? As far as I'm aware, the police don't do anything. Um, the whole police system and politics in this country as a whole, in my opinion, are completely trash at the moment. Like, for example, right now with Brexit, no one knows what's happening. Everyone's just against each other, even if they're on the same side. So this country just as a whole is going to calm down soon and someone needs to rise up and fix it. Um, as far as I'm aware, though, I don't think anything happens to you. I don't think we have a special task force like the Australians do. I think you're just left alone until someone find, until either you get in trouble with the police or someone reports you. That's probably more common than we think. Um, you know, you mentioned Brexit, and I just read something that right now um, it's costing the UK about a billion dollars a month because of this giant mess. Um, what's the cause? What happened? Uh, essentially, all started with David Cameron, to be honest. Um, I can't remember the exact reason for it, but um, I, because. It happened a long time ago, before I was even interested in politics. So I don't know too much about it, but um, I could tell you about what's going on currently and folks, like how it unfolded and how it became the way it is now. But the actual reason for it, I can't really remember at all, to be honest. I just remember that it was David Cameron that started it. Then he said that if he voted to leave, um, he'll actually just resign from office. And that, that's how he basically resigned. Um, essentially, the way it's happening now, for example, is there's obviously... There's this huge conspiracy theory where it's just the EU, for example, where they have, for example, Macron that came to power in France. His approval rating at one point, I think, depending on the sources you check, um, was 18% to 26%. I'm not really too sure which sources you follow, but the ones I checked were from that. Um, so I think as a whole, a bunch of the politicians that wanted to leave were just against the whole globalist idea that they thought the EU was pushing. And I think another factor would be the refugee crisis that we went through. Um, because, for example, in Scotland and Wales, the two leaders from there, they wanted, I think the leader from Wales actually said that she wanted Wales to become a safe haven for refugees coming in. And I think that from from my experience and from the way I talk to people that would leave, they don't want those kind of um, cultures and stuff to come in without being um, assimilated into this culture. For example, you can see this through, for example, Norway, Sweden, where the two cultures just completely don't agree with each other. They clash, the crime rates have risen in those areas. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons, I think, previously, why people wanted to leave. How close of a vote was it? Oh, it was really close. I think the margin was about 4 to 5%. It was really close because 
And on both sides, I think there was a lot of lies told. Like, for example, Nigel Farage, he was pretty much in charge of the whole Leave campaign. On his bus, his tour bus that he drove around the UK um, advocating for um, the UK leaving Europe, um, the EU, sorry. He said that I think 375 million would be given to the, um, to the EU every month or something like that. Then he said that we'll, be, we'll basically give that to the NHS if we do end up leaving. He ended up saying that, no, I did not see anything like that, although it was stamped literally on his bus. Um, so, of course, that's what I mean when I say the, the political system in the UK has just completely gone down the drain at this point because both sides are lying. No one's trying to work with each other. Even now, um, I haven't heard a single person trying to help Theresa May with this whole mess. Everyone's just trying to make it as hard as possible for Theresa May because I understand she's not the best political figure. Because I personally, I don't really like her too much because her stances on anything don't be too, don't seem to be too um, stable. But at the same time, I don't really see anyone trying to help her. So that's what I think politics should be really about is because we're leaving whether we like it or not. So I think people should want to help each other to make it as least of an impact as possible. Yeah, that's one of the issues we have in our country as well is people tend to fight against each other rather than working together. Uh, but honestly, it starts, if you ask me, starts with the news media like okay give, give me a perfect example i'm sure you heard that the big old um robert Mueller russian collusion investigation report has finally been delivered yeah i heard that okay well prior to all of that we had all of the news media here claiming that like donald trump jr was going to get indicted um his 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 uh, son-in-law jared kushner was going to get indicted they made all these you know we have proof of this and we have proof of that then this report comes out and no indictments so of the of those people so did the media lie did they stretch the truth who knows right i mean but they drive public opinion and so people who were running around screaming that, you know, oh, Trump needs to go to jail. He did this. He did that. Well, now that there's been this two year long investigation and the report doesn't seem well, we haven't really heard yet, but my feeling is it's already been 24 hours. If there was something juicy in there, it would have been leaked by now. And the fact that it hasn't tells you that in my I use this term, I call it a nothing burger. It literally there's nothing. You know, there's nothing there. And I kind of suspected that from the very beginning. And I mean, yeah, so there was 36 indictments, but they were all over like um, misuse of um, our tax laws, like, you know, violating some of our tax laws by doing business with foreign countries or doing business with foreign countries that were on a list of countries that maybe there were sanctions against them. And we weren't as American citizens, we weren't supposed to do business with them. They were infractions like that. They were not like, Oh, you tampered with the election, which is what the investigation was about. So my point is, you know, the media gets the people all riled up and then the report comes out and they kind of go, oh, yeah, but what about this? And they change the topic. And I wonder, like, do you have that same kind of scenario in the UK where the media, like you said, people with <clears throat> with Theresa May, they're not giving her a lot of help. Do you feel like the media maybe is like, you know, pressuring her and and kind of changing what's the word, um, changing the attitude of people towards her? In a negative way? Yeah, 100%. I'd, I'd be confident enough to say that the media are completely against the right wing at this point or anything that's not completely just like, for example, Jeremy Corbyn, he's pretty much like our version of Bernie Sanders. I think if you're anything other than that, they're completely against you. Like recently, even there was the BBC, which is our sort of main news network for Britain as a whole. Um, there's a guy called Tom Robinson. Are you aware of him? Yes. 
Yeah, um, if you want, he's recently posted a documentary where the flagship um, documentary channel, which is called BBC Panorama, they actually worked with a far left organization to try and make him out to be a sexual um, sexual offender and all that sort of stuff, where he actually has proof of it, talking to the main guy in charge, where he was saying he was going to cut certain parts of the videos, um, he was making homophobic jokes, that kind of stuff. I think that part was a bit exaggerated on his behalf, but yeah, I think the, that video, that documentary in itself shows the heavy bias the media has, at least in this country, and same could be shown for pretty much the US as well, where you can see that the media really drives the narrative in terms of politics in this in this kind of scenario. Gives them an awful lot of power. So we're, we're getting close to wrap-up time, so I wanted to ask something because you... you you, you brought something up and it popped a question in my mind. I want your opinion on this. Okay. So like you have your, you have your guy who's like, like our, our Bernie Sanders, we have Bernie Sanders. What do you attribute in your mind? I mean, you know, especially since you're younger, this is going to be an, int- I think this is going to be an interesting answer. What do you attribute the rise of pe- people who have more socialist ideas? Like, why is that happening? Why, why are people embracing that? I think people are embracing it because they like everyone likes free shit. To be honest, sorry, sorry to use that word, but in in a nutshell, people like free shit. All my friends in the in the school, they all want um free everything. I want I want my insurance paid for. I want my healthcare paid for. Everything. And me as a me as my belief, I don't think that everyone should be giving you everything. I think you should earn it. So I think that's mainly because if you see the support base, for example, for Bernie Sanders, um, for Jeremy Corbyn in this case, there are a lot of young people. Not because you see, like you see, the stereotype where conservatives tend to be old men that just like they don't care about anything else other than politics, that kind of stuff. Then people, for example, like Jeremy Corbyn or Bernie Sanders, still have the young, hip kind of um, mob following them. So I think, as a as a general rule, they they um, people just want free stuff, and anyone loves the thought of free stuff. I know I do. For example, someone came up to me, do want a free burger? I take it, no questions asked. I wouldn't really think behind the motives, and that's what I think happens in most situations where. People see socialism just as a face where you get free stuff. Um, we have to use pull your resources, that kind of stuff. But no one really takes the time to look into it deeper as just the general population. So they, so you're saying that they're looking at the surface level where they're getting free benefits for things and they're not really looking at the deeper dive of what really happens to countries when they follow like socialistic ideals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that from my experience, at least that's what this situation was. I know people in my college a lot because I'm the only one in my college that's interested in politics on this level. Everyone else, they usually just, they know about politics, but not too much. Um, that's why I started my my Instagram page, for example, is more to reach out to the younger generation and to get them involved into politics. Because um, I think most people, they don't really read past the headlines. Like, for example, if there was an um, article to come out from the BBC saying that, oh, this person is a racist and this is why, this is why they wouldn't actually bother trying to, for example, say it was a video of the event. Most people don't want to look at the video itself. They'll just listen to the media and just take it for granted and just believe 100% of what they say. But what I'm trying to get to do is for people to actually read behind the headlines, look at the sources that um, people provide and try to find the actual truth within what the what said. You know, it's interesting you say that. It's so true. I have a friend that works for a media organization and they're they're kind of in the middle. And so they're trying to bring back responsible journalism and they did a test and they put up an article where the let's just say you know the title was um you know donald trump uh, about to be indicted by a grand jury and then when you click through 
The article says, you know, Donald Trump's not about to be indicted by a grand jury. We want to see if you're actually reading the article. And we and our research has found that X percent of people don't read the articles. They just read the, the, the title. And so we're trying to show you how important it is for you to click through and actually read the article and not just the title. Well, that art, they then they posted that article on Facebook and that article got shared something like, you know, two million times. And most people didn't read the article. They truly thought that what the headline said was what was happening. And it's kind of funny because the article literally says, hey, I'm nothing about what the title says. I'm something totally different. But you're going to share this as though what the title says is true. And that, and I think that's a, you're absolutely right. People are really into headlines and not into the details behind the headlines. Yeah, I think. Especially what your friend, boyfriend's company is actually amazing. I've never heard of anything I've done before, and I think I'm the biggest fan at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's ama- it, it was amazing. I mean, I'll have to try to find it. I'll email you the link so you can so you can look at it because it was pretty funny. But why don't you tell people, because we're going to wrap up here, but why don't you tell people where they can like give your Instagram handle out, and if you've got a website or if you're on Twitter, you know, give that stuff out. And then those things will get put into the show notes as well, so be easy for people to find. But go ahead and let people know where they can find you. Um, yeah, I'm only on Instagram at the moment. If I um, get any other places, I will be sure to mention on Instagram. But my Instagram is at the underscore political underscore pirate. It's more of a meme kind of based website um, page, sorry, where I just talk about current issues and give my opinion on certain topics. Yeah, I, lo- I actually really like your page a lot. Um, I was glad we could hook up here, but, but thanks for coming on. And I'm going to, I'm going to close this down with my, my usual speech that I give people, which is, you know, this is, this show is called Liberty Revealed for a reason. You know, I'm really into personal liberty. And if, if you don't know what personal liberty is about, I have a a freebie that I give away and you just go to yogispodcastnetwork.com forward slash Liberty Revealed. There's a little box there to put in your email, click submit, and it'll immediately send you um, this nice PDF that has a bunch of examples of what is and is not personal liberty and how personal liberty works. So anyway, thanks everybody for listening. I hope you come back next time. This is Mike Mahoney, and this has been Liberty Revealed. Thanks for listening to Liberty Revealed, the show where you learn about all things liberty. Please visit the show's website at Yogi's Podcast Network dot com backslash lr where you can reach out to mike directly with your questions and comments again that is yogi's podcast network dot com backslash lr